0: Hi everyone, I'm Randy Neewen, President of Randy's Cabinets and Woodworks in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and a board member of the Cabinet Makers Association. And I'd like to welcome you to episode 13 of Pro Cabin Maker, a monthly podcast produced by the CMA. Each month we'll chat with some outstanding industry professionals about the issues and challenges impacting their businesses, as well as success stories to inspire. Today, we are here talking with Mark Elliott of Elliott Woodworking about outsourcing. Mark, glad you could join us. I'm glad to be here, Randy. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your company?
1: Yeah, my my history. I'm actually a third-generation woodworker furniture guy. My grandfather actually started the Elliott Furniture Company. His four sons went into the business with them, each one of them took a portion of the business, managed it. He needed to have one of the sons become a finisher. One of the sons led the upholstery department. Another son ran the woodworking department because back then sofa frames and chairs were built with hardwood frames rather than plywood frames. And then one of the sons was the salesman. My dad turned out to be the salesman. But I gravitated towards the wood side of the business. And I worked with my uncle and got my start actually building sofa frames and chair frames and so on that. The four boys could not get along and never wanted to see us third generation team up together. So I went off on my own when I got into my early 20s and became a woodworker. And from there, an architectural mill worker. And then in 2007, I hit on the idea to start manufacturing dovetail drawer boxes for my local market. The business just took off and I've never looked back. So from in 2007, when I was essentially a one-man shop, I am now a 15-man operation and produce not only dovetail drawer boxes, but Cabinet doors and drawer fronts, as well as architectural grade butcher block tops and tabletops and things like that.
0: So it sounds like your family is basically always outsourced to each other almost at the beginning. One guy specialized in one area and sold back to the other area. Is that correct?
1: Well, not exactly. They all worked in the same building, it was the large Elliott Furniture Company. In its heyday, it was a large operation. It probably employed about 50 people, so they each managed their own department. So it was a single operation, but they just had a hard time getting along. The brothers could not have agreed in business. No, they did not outsource much. But I will say this. When I was a single man shop, I had a hard time bringing myself to outsource, to buy a drawer box, or to make a cabinet door. So I used to make my own. So I understand the mindset of people that opt to make their own doors and drawer boxes because I was one of them. The big change came for me when I viewed myself through a different lens. Instead of viewing myself as a craftsman that could make everything, I started to view myself as a businessman, and I was in the business of selling my products. And as soon as I saw myself as a businessman, I saw that it did not make financial sense for me to try to make my cabinet doors and my drawer boxes for myself when I could buy them for less money and pump more work out the door. So that's the area that you think played a Business success
0: for you finding a spot that could outsource, I'm going to say the high labor areas that you struggled with in your business. Yes, that is correct. Do you find that you you are now a outsourced supplier, I would say. What do you tell people that they should be looking for or are the benefits that they would receive from outsourcing? Do they get some things that we've looked at are like shorter lead times for us? We can control our pricing. We can control the quality. I don't need to have employees that do specialty work. Do you see all of those as benefits or other areas that you really try to sell the
1: outsourcing benefits? Yeah, no, all of those points right there. I've had a number of small shops, even a a rather large shop, who would make their own drawer boxes and they just got used to it. And when they finally gave me a chance when they came and they sent me their first order after they picked them up every one of them has always said I'm never making another drawer box again because when they saw the prices the quality and how fast they got them it was the type of thing they did not want to do. On the simple things like if you're making your own drawer boxes you're paying a higher price for lumber than I am, I'm able to buy in quantities directly from the mill. Now, keep in mind, I'm just a regional manufacturer, and I service Southeast Michigan, so I'm not trying to ship out of state or anything like that, but it's a large market right here in Southeast Michigan, and I still run through about 12,000 feet of hard maple a month just manufacturing drawer boxes for my market. So when you're starting to purchase your lumber at truckload quantities and dealing directly with the mill, you're getting the best price you possibly can. And I'm also fortunate that here in Michigan, we have some of the best hard maple around. I get better lumber pricing. And because I am set up to do this, we can move faster than you ever can in a shop. Because I'm able to take and process the lumber, turn it into a drawer blank, Faster than one man shop can, so all of those things add up. And at times, our typical lead time right now for a drawer box on the high end is a week and a half. And I don't care if it's one drawer box or if it's a hundred drawer boxes, we can fit in. So we accommodate the smaller shops. I can run one drawer box as easy as I can a hundred. It just gets mixed in with another with the other batch that we happen to be running that morning. That really facilitates the lead times. And as I've grown the business, we really have the equipment to make it happen and to make it happen fast. And as a result, you get the low lead times and you get the benefit of mass production that if a person actually stops to look at his cost of materials and all that, the time involved, he's not making any money making a drawer box. And that's what a person needs to look at when they make that decision, whether to outsource it or to build it themselves.
0: You're talking a lot about cost and lead times there. How can outsourcing actually improve the quality of your drawer boxes, in your opinion?
1: We're using CNC dump tailors to do all of our machining. Every step along the way is pretty much handled by numerically controlled machines. And as a result, I get the same results every single time. And that really is what leads to quality, is when you've got machines doing the job instead of having a human do it. For instance, now over the course of time, I actually know how many hours I can get out of a dovetail bit before we have to swap it for a new one. So we log all this stuff. We've got our meters on our machines. We log this stuff and we track it. And that's what also leads to higher quality. Because I've got dedicated machines to do the job, just even a small thing like having a 14-inch wide edge sander, we finish all of our drawer boxes after assembly. So after we assemble, we can go to an edge sander, we make sure we sand, all of our dovetails flush, then we go into finishing. It is just a very good-looking drawer box. And I think most people have a hard time matching that. It comes to the point where a 14-inch edge
0: sander is not something most small shops are going to have, and you can see the quality difference right off the bat.
1: Yeah, six-inch head sanders. But for us, I have found that in my market, the second most common drawer box that's ordered is the 10-inch tall box that goes in a three-drawer bank because it's typically a frameless cabinet. It's a 10-10-4. So we build a lot of 10-inch boxes and obviously a lot of 4-inch boxes and then everything else in between and a bulk for that matter. Do you think that
0: the skill level... Of your employees is matched to the quality of your product, versus a person in a smaller shop who might produce, let's say, ten dovetail drawers per kitchen, whereas you have a person or an employee who's producing thousands of dovetails. You see a big quality difference, or like the skill difference.
1: Yeah, I do. And what the skills that my employees have, my good employees. And I've really, I've had my employees, I've done a pretty good job with employee retention over the years, because this is not a bad place to work. But the employees, they understand the processes. So they've been running these and they've been building them long enough that they can see, they can even hear when a machine, if something isn't going right. And so I've got employees that have now can catch, any type of mistakes or if something's going wrong, we can catch it before it gets too far along in the production system. The difference between, let's say, my employees and the employees you would have, Randy, or people in other cabinet shops, you need skilled cabinet makers that can assemble, that can really trim out the cabinet, can give you good myers, on your crown moldings, on everything like that, you do need, for the typical cabinet shop, needs a much more skilled employee to do those things. My employees, their skill has to be in running high-tech machines and knowing when to check them, how to double-check them, and keep them functioning properly. Do you see the benefits on a smaller company versus a larger
0: company that you outsource to? Do you see the larger companies benefiting as
1: much as the small companies? I do see the benefits because i got a couple of large customers. For instance, my largest customer, there's clearly a business case for them making their own drawer. They buy that many for me. I ship them at least six pallets of drawers a week. And the nice thing is they're probably only about 14, 15 miles from me. But they can't do it because they do not have the physical space, the square footage to make their own drawer boxes. But what they would still have to do, and the only way it would make sense for them, is they would have to buy the wood blanks. Because if you were ever to come into my shop, you would see that the bulk of the shop is actually dedicated to the rough mill where we bring all our lumber in the rough. It's been skip plain to 1560s. But we have to process those boards into drawer blanks. I have more square footage and more of an investment made and the rough nail to take a board and to turn it into a drawer blank than I do in what I would just call my machine in an assembly area. It's very easy to buy a dovetail machine and start dovetailing, doing the actual machining on the drawer box. But the real labor is getting a drawer blank ready to go into the dovetail machine. And that's where I end up saving them money because And I'm sure you're familiar with this. You get maple lumber, you're not going to get that many 10-inch wide boards. That's not the nature of hard maple, is to get wide boards. So we have to glue up for those boards. So my investment really is in my rough mill. That's what has put me in a position to be an efficient and cost-effective drawer box manufacturer. And I don't think a lot of even the big companies that are making cabinets, they don't have a rough mill that can process the lumber, can cut it, can rip it, can glue it back up and turn it into and then re-rip into drawer lines. I think even the large companies have a hard time justifying that stuff. So they see a benefit. One of my other large customers was making his own drawer boxes for the longest time. He's got a very good dovetailer. And he finally approached me because we knew each other. And he started outsourcing his drawer boxes back to me because he was able to free up manpower for the guy that used to make all his drawer boxes, he makes quite a few. He's a pretty good-sized customer. We're talking about another guy that when I make a delivery, it's lots of pallets of drawers. We're filling a box store, a cube band going over the drawer boxes. And he has a look back because he was able to free up floor space and other manpower to keep his cabinets flowing. When he took a look, and he was a good businessman, he knew what his cost was on a drawer box. And he saw what my costs were to him, and it was a break-even proposition. So what it did for him is give him back the floor space that was dedicated to his drawer box operation and that employee. And he was able to use that employee in other areas of his business, of which needed to be filled. So it turned out to be a win for both of us. I've been making his boxes now for a good two, two and a half years. And he doesn't want to ever run his dub tailor again as long as I keep doing a good job for him. Yep. And the same thing, now I'm talking a lot about drawer boxes because that's where I got my start. But since I've more or less saturated my market in drawer boxes and I was looking for continued growth, that's when I got into the doors and the drawer fronts too, because I had customers asking me saying, Mark. When are you going to start making them? I finally got myself to that point, And now I'm manufacturing doors and drawer fronts as well.
0: Yep. And I outsource a lot of our doors and our drawer fronts. As a company, I always look for things that make my life easy so that I can outsource to someone who understands my process, someone that can make their process and my process match together. What are ways that you've streamlined, like ordering some of your shipping? How do you ship it? Do you guarantee, like, low defect rates? What are the big areas that you see as things that people who are outsourcing should be looking for out of their outsourced suppliers?
1: What they've got to look for, number one, is that the the drawer box or whatever it is, it's got to be delivered without any damage. It's got to be what they've ordered. And let's now just take the drawer boxes, for instance. I can't even remember the last time that when we'd done the delivery that we've ever had any damage. One of the things that I've done to make it easy with my customers is I've purchased a large number of plastic pallets. So I will load the drawer boxes, package these things on these pallets, stretch wrap them, and then band them. So they're not going to shift around. And these guys just save the plastic pallets for me. So when we make our next delivery, we take the empties back. So I've been able to cut down on shipping costs. I'm not out looking or having to store large amounts of white pallets because we keep reusing the same pallets. So my customers that I ship to, and I only ship to my big ones. The smaller guys will come by here and pick up their boxes. So I've minimized, there there is no shipping damage. But what does happen is they've made a mistake and they've ordered at the wrong size. And when that happens, it's essential that you get them what they need fast. So that's been a strong suit of ours. is that we can typically, if we had to, we can have a new box ready to go the next day but I like to have like two to three days. We've got that replacement or what you're gonna need to keep your job going. And so because I have been in their shoes, I know what it takes to be a good outsource supplier. You have to realize that you are working for them, not them working for you. In other words, I have to do whatever it takes to make their life easy. And that means even in the way they submit an order to me. And I pick up a lot of slack for this. I take an order any way they want to give it to me. I've got an online order form, but I have guys that will write the order out, take a picture of it and text it to me and email it to me. And we print it out, it doesn't matter. I'll take an order any way and in any form it comes in. So I've made it easy. Well, I try to make it as easy as possible. But the mindset that I keep driving home to all of my employees is when it comes to customer service, is that these people have choices and they will continue to stay with us as long as we perform and we make it easy on them and when we have shop meetings i reinforce this idea i said you've got to understand that this is like going through the drive through at a fast food restaurant you're only going to stay in that line so long waiting for your food and you're going to get impatient and the same thing holds true when you've placed an order for something the clock starts ticking and the faster you felt the more satisfaction you get from your customer. These are the things that I stress to the employees and, and we do everything we can. I've got a pretty, a, a nicely refined system going here. and I've worked hard to do it because I know what it takes. I've been in their shoes and I do everything that I can. Bend over backwards to keep my customers happy. That's what you're looking for. I realize in some of the big companies, You're going to be just a name and an accountant, and there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong, because I'm a regional guy. I know every one of my customers, and every one of my customers knows me, and so that's what's helped me build the business in this market, but I think it's nice when you can have a connection with the supplier that you're outsourcing to.
0: Do you have any plans, Mark? We've talked about that you did started out with drawers and now you're at the doors. Is there anything else that you're planning on leading in heavier to the outsourcing to give a better product or a better one source shop to your
1: clients? Yeah, the, the things I'm doing it right now because really the strength of my operation is this is that I can cut and blue lumber to Delta, eat finish up late. And then what I'd like to do is add value to that cut and glued lumber, whether it's a drawer box, whether it's a cabinet door, whether it's a butcher block top, or whether it's a tabletop, if it could be made out of solid wood, that's what we do best. And with what I've just rattled off right there, I don't think there are too many things. I'm looking at, at, at the accessories. I do get some requests, especially when there were supply chain issues. But other than that, there's not a lot more that I can really go for. I just keep trying to get more efficient at what I do. For small shops, is
0: there something that you think they should consider outsourcing at pretty much at all costs to them? Do you see people struggling or your customers struggling to try to, to build something that just is not efficient for them? And
1: it's hurting their bottom line. Here's the avenue that I've resisted going down that I could do, but I've chosen not to. But I do think that my customers, some of my customers would benefit from this, is I've also got the capabilities of building cabinet boxes. Now, I don't want to deal with the general public with walk-in traffic. I want to stay in my shop, and I want to just manufacture. I don't want to hold anybody's hand. I hold people's hand when they first start placing orders. So I want to school them in that. But what I mean by not holding the hand is to hold I don't want to deal with the homework. So what I looked at and did a little bit was to have people outsource their actual cabinet boxes to us, and then they could focus on the design and the install. We would make the cabinet boxes, the drawers would be there, the doors would be there, and they could go install them. But it didn't work real good with my flow, so I backed off of that. Now, there might be a point, might go back and look at that again, but I think... The small shops that can rely on somebody that's got good CNC equipment to manufacture their cabinet boxes—that would be something that could be worth looking into, depending on the type of equipment that they have. And for me, that would be the—that would be about the last area that I—and I'm not going to say I, I've learned it. I got to take the word "never" out of my vocabulary because ever. If you'd talked to me five years ago, I'd said I'm never making a cabinet door. Now we're busting them out left and right. If I was to move into another outsourcing opportunity, it would be supplying whole cabinet box packages to some of the local shops. Do you
0: you see yourself as staying away from the end user? Is what you're saying, and. A small shop can really benefit because they get all of your production, all of your quality, all of your accuracy of the high-quality equipment, high-quality employees. They can really specialize in the sales, the install, basically meeting with the end user and selling to the end user. That seems to be where you see everyone that's buying from you. That's their biggest benefit.
1: That is their biggest benefit because... I do not compete with my customers, and that's another reason I will never deal with an end user. They have to have their confidence that I'm working for them, and not competing against them. That's another reason I, I don't want to deal with the general public, but that's all part of being an outsourcing company, is I work for them, and I don't compete against them. And I actually want to see them succeed. Because in having them succeed and become more profitable because they're pushing more product out the door, I get the benefit of that because as they grow, I grow as well. So it's the type of partnership that really becomes a win partnership.
0: As an outsourcer, do you bring in any specialty woods, any specialty product that you would see your customers really struggling to find?
1: Well, I've got very good connections with the metals, So when it comes to wood, about the only thing I don't do is deal in any of the tropical woods. I don't really consider sapelli or mahogany a tropical wood, although technically it is. But I have a pretty good inventory of pretty much every domestic species there is. Because if somebody needs it made out of that, I have it here. That's another benefit is that, yeah, I do pretty much have everything here. I'm not dealing in any with any Purdue or I don't even, I, and I've turned away jobs that needed to be made out of teak. So, Mark, okay.
0: one kind of final question. If I am a shop looking for a quality outsourcer, what are some red flags that you would tell me to steer clear of things that you don't want to see your business going like that direction.
1: That's a tough one because I think most of the outsourcing shops have my same mentality is they recognize that if they don't make a quality product, they're not going to keep the customers satisfied. I have had people come to me who have left because there there is a place maybe 90, 100 miles away from me that makes similar products. And they have left that shop because of quality. And if you ever hear that that the outsourcing shop has got quality issues, whether they replace it or not, Quickly, that's a big red flag there because you never know when you're getting something that's just barely good enough to get out the door. And that would be the one thing right there is to make sure that they've got a reputation for doing it right. For instance, if it's a cabinet door that you don't have a rail separating from a style, things like that, with drawer boxes that you're having issues. That would be the only red flag that I could say. Or if they got extremely long lead time, that would be another red flag right there. Another quick question. How long have you been with the Cabinet Makers
0: Association? and, And what do you see the biggest benefit of that?
1: I'll tell you what. I joined the Cabinet Makers Association long time ago. Could have been 2008, 2009, somewhere right in there. I let my membership lapse, but I came back, I rejoined the the CMA five, six years ago or something like that. I think Amanda has done a good job turning the, the, the association around. Now here's the benefit, and I get this benefit. I'm actually a member of four different trade associations, the CMA being one of them. But my being members of associations, has taught me i have learned how to be a better manufacturer in the benefit of the cma to the members that participate they will become better cabinet makers because of the way people will share their knowledge and experience that is invaluable and so i am on big component of being a member of an association, but you must participate in that association to get the maximum benefit. So the CMA is one of the best associations there is for the cabinet makers. That's why I came back into the CMA. We
0: appreciate it. And yeah, like you said, I think uh, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it.
1: The only way you're going to get something out of it is you have to put into it. And that means going to meetings, going on the plant tours, getting together and talking shop. If you do that, you are going to get a lot out of being a member. And I encourage people to do that. Thank you. I appreciate oh. your time, Mark. No, thanks, Randy.
0: Happy to do it. And thanks to everyone listening to this episode of Pearl Cabinet Maker. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact the woodworking industry, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about the Cabinet Makers Association, be sure to visit us online at cabinetmakers.org. See you next time.